Good times. Yep. <laughs> Off to a great start. Just a heads up, everybody. Casey is training to get back on nights. <laughs> if things, Bitch can't day sleep worth a shit. If there is uh, some... Long pauses. Or questionable content. <laughs> yes, I wish... I would love for everybody to just see my Jane, my Jonestown. I keep saying Jamestown like a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different episode. The Jonestown notes next to my Jameson family notes. And it's like, that's a lot of red underlines on Google. <laughs> for only having four pages. <laughs> well, with that uh, little caveat <laughs> in order... <laughs> Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 83 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and the Devious from Around the World. I'm Roya. And I'm Casey. And this week, we took to our Patreon Discord, patreon.com slash strangeunusual, and asked if we should be more lighthearted or more dark after Jonestown. And everyone said lighthearted, but we decided to do Family Annihilators, so... (laughs) Everybody dies again. Also, don't hold your breath for next week. <laughs> um, as fuck them, huh? It's a fuck them. <laughs> as I previously stated, if you would like to become part of the Patreon Discord that we completely disregard <laughs> and do what we want anyway, um, patreon.com slash strange unusual. You can also find us on various social medias and some version of the strange and unusual. Or the Strange and Unusual podcast. It'll all have the same logo art as our episodes do. Um, and all of the information will be at the end of the episode as well as in the show notes. So what are you talking about today, Casey? Uh, as I mentioned, I will be talking about the Jameson family. It's a it's a cold case. Ooh. Um, I am going to be talking about John List. It is not a cold oh, case. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a goodie, though. Well, I also, uh, I mean, it's not a goodie. No, it's, it's, it's really, really fucking awful. But it's its one of the best episodes of Forensic Files, in my opinion. It is a really good one. There's several so. several uh, different true crime shows that have good episodes about John List. I think a lot of it is just like the... Um, I'm sure you'd get into well, it. Well, yeah, but a lot of it is like the interest <laughs> in how could somebody do this to their family. I think there's mm-hmm. why... I mean, it's the content of our episode here. Everybody knows what we're talking about in this episode. Yeah. The families don't fare well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I'm laughing, though. But, um, yeah, I think it's a, a curiosity. It's the same thing with, like, cults. It's like, how can someone fall for this? Drink the flavor. Yeah. How can someone believe Charles Manson is, you know, Jesus reincarnated and there's this giant war going on that no one knows about? Right. Like, all sorts of stuff like that. So I think it's the same sort of interest in, like, most people just cannot comprehend how someone could kill their whole family, let alone even just kill one of their children or kill their wife, you know? Yeah. Like... One of, not again, not one of my favorites when I say this, but one of the most fascinating stories to me are the Menendez brothers. Yeah, that was one that I looked at for next week's episode, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, I know you didn't do that no, one. No, I didn't, so. but I did look at it. <laughs> I, I wanted to find something that was a little off the beaten path for next week's episode. Yeah. But we'll yep. get into that I'm next into week. It. So you should probably go first, because I know, yeah. I know this man. We're on, I've watched that Forensic Files episode many times. <laughs> Because I watch the same nine seasons on Netflix just constantly. Um, IMDb. IMDb on, uh, you can get it for free on Amazon. Yeah. And they've got like fucking like 20 seasons or something. You just have to deal with commercials every once in a while. You've told me that before and I still haven't done it. Because <laughs> I, it's just so comforting to watch the same nine seasons okay. I'm familiar with. <laughs> Everybody's got their comfort shows. I like to watch people die of fucking botulism in oregon because of a cult i like to watch arrested developments first four seasons (laughs) there you go uh so go ahead trigger warnings um murder (laughs) uh elderly murder child murder 
and blaming religion for murder. I mean, is he wrong, though? Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> that's fair. So John Emil List was born on September 17th, 1925 to, German Amer- to a German-American couple in Bay City, Michigan. His father was a devout Lutheran, um, something that would continue on into John List's adulthood. In 1943, like a lot of Americans, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and served as a laboratory technician during World War II. Ooh, laboratory technician. That sounds fancy. I love sleep-deprived Casey. (laughs) (laughs) He was discharged in 1946 and enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. Wow, he's he's like a big smarty. Yeah, with those two degrees, I'm sure that any conversation with him was absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. Not dry at all. He must have had a great sense of humor. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, when the Korean War escalated in November 1950, List was called back into active military service. And while in Fort Eustis, Virginia, he met... Hey! <laughs> he met... He- <laughs> Sorry, that's that's right down the street from uh, me. Sorry. He met Helen Taylor, the widow of an officer who was killed in action in Korea, who lived nearby with her daughter Brenda. John and Helen began dating, and on December 1st, 1951, they would marry in Baltimore, Maryland, and move to Northern, Ca- Northern California. And I apologize ahead of time, guys. John List moves his family around a fucking lot. There's a lot of different cities that are going to be popping up. Like, you have issues with, like, a ton of names coming up for different people involved in a case. This case has just city after city after city after city that he moves to. I'm I'm loving it. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, that's me. <laughs> the Army reassigned a list to the Finance Corps after they found out, you know, he had two advanced degrees in accounting and business administration. Yeah. Um, after his second tour, List worked for an accounting firm in Detroit and then as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo, where he and Helen would have three children. I love the name of that town. <laughs> I like Rancho Cucamonga. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. There's, there's one I'm thinking of that I... Kickapoo. Yeah. I like Kickapoo, too. And all I can think of when I hear that is uh, Tenacious D. I yeah. like uh, Walla Walla, Washington, too. Walla walla. It's just yep. got a good flow to it. Yep. Um, so in uh night so in nineteen fifty, List nineteen fifty nine, sorry, List was promoted to the general supervisor of the company's accounting department. Uh but his wife was not doing too great. Um Helen had become an alcoholic and was becoming increasingly unstable, um, both physically and mentally. In 1960, Brenda, Helen's daughter, married and moved out, and the rest of the family moved to Rochester, New York, where List got a job with Xerox. He became the director of accounting services, and in 1965, List accepted a position as vice president and comptroller at a bank in Jersey City, New Jersey. He moved his family, including his elderly mother Alma this time, again, to Westfield, New Jersey, to an estate called Breeze Knoll, a 19-room Victorian mansion, complete with a ballroom, that's important later, and an original Tiffany skylight, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So later on, after all this happens, uh, the house, unfortunately, is is vandalized and is burned down in an arson. And they're saying that, like... Yeah, it really sucks that the house burned down, but like the real travesty was that Tiffany skylight, if it was real. At the time the house burned down, it was estimated to have been worth like $100,000. Oh, In wow. 2020, it would have been worth like $620,000. Dang. <laughs> I was just like, God damn. I'd be like, who would like to come purchase the skylight <laughs> from my house <laughs> so that I can pay off my house? <laughs> right? So I can pay off a couple of houses, probably, depending on where you are. Yep. Um, also, like, this is what, a five, six-person household in a 19-room Victorian mansion? Come on. That's, that's excessive, John. (laughs) Come on. On November 19th, 1971, the kids went off to school after breakfast, and John and Helen got ready for their day. 
Then, for no discernible reason at the time, List leveled a handgun at the back of Helen's head as she sipped her coffee and shot, killing her instantly. Helen was 46 at the time of her death. He then went upstairs and murdered his mother Alma in her bed, who was 84. Um, He shot her above her left eye. So he was looking in his mother's face when he murdered her. Jesus Christ. Hate that. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) When his daughter Patricia, who was 16, and younger son Frederick, who was 13, came home from school, Liss shot them both in the back of the head. Um, There's no indication that they had any idea that it was happening or that anything was going on. Um, Then List made himself lunch. What did he eat? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. (laughs) As long as he didn't eat them. I don't know. No, we're not talking about cannibals this time, at least. Well, that will be next week's episode. (laughs) That's next week, yeah. Um, For these extra light episodes. (laughs) Uh, Then he went to Westfield High School, where he watched his elder son, John Jr., who was 15, play in a soccer game. Again, like nothing was wrong. Just like he hadn't killed the rest of John's entire family. Um, Mm -hmm. He then drove his son home, and the young man was found shot repeatedly, evidence showing that he had attempted to defend himself and was trying to escape. Uh, John Jr. from the, I believe it was in the Forensic Files episode, was found with 10 gunshot wounds. Um, He then placed the bodies of his family, except his mother, on sleeping bags in the mansion's ballroom. Um, He left his mother's body in her apartment upstairs on the third floor, claiming that she was too heavy for him to move. Which, I mean, Mm. I kind of can get, you know, dead weight on probably at least three flights of stairs. Probably not the easiest thing in the world to do. Right. Especially, like, you know, he's in his late 40s, early 50s at this point. Um, I hate this guy. Yeah, he sucks. (laughs) He left a five-page letter to his pastor on his desk in his study. He claimed in the letter that he saw too much evil in the world, and that he was concerned that his family was turning away from God, and the only way to save their souls was to send them to heaven. Wow, I'm glad he gets to make that choice for everybody. (laughs) He then cleaned the house and removed his own picture from all of the family photographs, which is important later. Oh. And turned the radio on to a religious station and left. The, okay. The murders were not discovered until December 7th, nearly a month later. Uh, luckily, List had thought of pretty much everything. He had even turned the thermostat down in the house to um, decrease the rate of uh, decomposition on the bodies so that they would be in a better condition when they were found than had he left the heat on. Yeah. Um, the family was kind of reclusive in general, and List had preemptively sent notes to the children's schools and part-time jobs, claiming that the children would be visiting Helen's sick mother in North Carolina. It wasn't completely a lie. Helen's mother had been ill and was previously planning on visiting the List family in Westfield, but had to cancel due to the illness. List later on would state that had she arrived, she would have been the sixth victim. Dang. List also planned ahead and stopped the milk, the mail, and the newspaper deliveries. The newspaper- the newspapers. The neighbors noticed that all the windows were illuminated in the mansion, day and night, but no one saw anyone in the house. No one's moving around, no one's turning lights on and off, no one's coming in and out. When the bulbs started to burn out and then weren't replaced, the neighbors called the police to do a welfare check on the family. The police entered through an unlocked window in the basement and then found the bodies as they explored the house. The police investigated hundreds of leads, but had no reliable photos of John List, and the family car was found parked at the JFK airport in New York City, New York. But the police couldn't confirm that if List had gotten on a flight or not. They just found his car there. Hmm. In May of 1989... So we're now, what, this is from 70, I don't remember, I don't see it. (laughs) I think it's 12 years, 18 year old crime. So do the math yourselves, I'm not here for fucking math. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In May, uh, in May of 18, 18, in May of 1989, during its first year on air, America's Most Wanted recounted the then 18-year-old crime. They had reached out to a master forensic artist named Frank Bender, who worked closely with the criminal psychologist to investigate John List's background 
and personality to help determine how he would age. So Frank Bender was saying that uh, in the Forensic Files episode as well, that a lot of the aging programs will just like slap some wrinkles on someone's face and say that they're aged five years or whatever. But that doesn't account for like if someone takes care of themselves and or are they a person who's vain who would get cosmetic surgery? Are they a person who like what's their genealogy like? How did their parents age? You know, what did they look when they were are there pictures of what they looked like when they were this person's approximate age? Mm -hmm. Um, And so he relies he's a forensic um, facial reconstructionist who does sculpting. And he's solved, helped solve tons of cases, this being one of them. So together, they looked at photos of his parents and how they had aged. And Liss also had a surgical scar behind his ear. And Bender researched how the scar specifically would also age. How would it look in almost 20 years? Um, And they even considered the kind of glasses that they thought he would wear. That they, the um, psychologist... And Frank Bender agreed that he would probably switch his, like, normal glasses that he was wearing previously for something that was um, a darker frame with the idea that um, he was, that was, like, him hiding behind his shame. That he didn't want people to, like, recognize him and he was, like, trying to hide behind, like, a darkness, like a shadow. Mm -hmm. Um, So the bust was shown on America's Most Wanted. And there was a call from the viewer who knew who he was. She said that she knew him as Robert Bob Clark in Denver, Colorado. And she would later say that it was the glasses that sealed the identification for her. I fucking love that shit. (laughs) That's like what I live for in like these true crime stories. It's when when these investigators and these these artists, people come together and they're like, we fucking know what this dude's about. And then somebody's like... Yes, you do, because I know who that is now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So following leads from Denver, Colorado, the FBI would arrest John List on June 1st, less than two weeks after the broadcast on America's Most Wanted in Richmond, Virginia, where he was working as a CPA. Don't they like check your social security shit or something? So he changed everything when he got to Colorado. He got a new social security card. He got new identification. He got new everything. I don't know how he got around the, um, like, degrees. Oh, yeah. But this was also, you know, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So... You can't fuck around like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, and this was, uh, you know, 1989 was when it aired. and It was 18 years old at the time. So... Mm -hmm. You're looking at, you know, the 70s. There's no way that they were able to track down, you know, right. uh, degrees and stuff like they are now. Hello, I'm calling from this place and I would like to know if this person got a degree. Yeah, 50 years ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, if you care, I assume that it would just be like he shows up and is able to do the job. It's not like a doctor or something like that. Right. You know, like I could understand there being CPA, though, you probably do need that. Maybe and now. Definitely. But, yeah. you know, it was the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Can you count? <laughs> You're an accountant. <laughs> Casey would not have that. Done. No, neither would Roya. Um, so... List had continued to stand by his alias of Bob for several months, even when he was extradited back to New Jersey. Dang. Only when he was faced with irrefutable evidence, including a fingerprint match, did he confess his true identity on February 16th, 1990. So I saw, I, I read conflicting information on where the fingerprint came from. Um, I want to say on the Forensic Files episode, they said that it was on the um, background check stuff for the firearms that he bought months before the murders. And Mm -hmm. then the article, one of the articles I found said that it was on his enlistment papers for the army is how they tracked it. So either way, they had his fingerprint on file um, to reference. I mean, why not both? Yeah. Um, The FBI would discover that in 1971, there's the date. (laughs) <laughs> we found it it's here <laughs> nailed it we're doing great <laughs> uh 
Um, would discover in 1971 that List had traveled by train from New Jersey to Michigan and then from Michigan to Colorado. And then he settled Ooh. in Denver in 1972 and took an accounting job as Robert Peter Bob Clark, which was the name of a college classmate for some reason. He just like was like, that name sounds good and picked that name. Man, that guy was so cool when I went to college. I want to be just like him when I grow and up. The real Robert Clark doesn't even remember who John List was. Good so it's like they weren't even friends. He was just like, that Good sounds like an innocuous name. Robert yep. Peter Clark. <laughs> no one will question Robert Peter Clark. Just just three first names. Yep. <laughs> We're good. Nobody will question me. That man has three first names. Better watch out. Can't question him. Um, from 1979 to 1986, he worked as a comptroller at a paper box manufacturer, which sounds like the most exhilarating job in the world, and joined a Lutheran- Add to the list of, <laughs> add to the list of interesting things that John List does for a living. <laughs> um, and joined a Lutheran congregation, because, you know, he didn't oh, suddenly no. not become not Lutheran. Uh, oh, he did it for God, remember? Yeah. At a religious gathering, he met Dolores Miller and married her in 1988. Don't do it, Dolores. <laughs> Dolores stood by him, like, devout yeah, she until... She was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, well, until he was finally like, nah, they got me. Like, No, babe, I did yeah. this. <laughs> um, the couple moved to Midlothian, Virginia after getting married and List, still going by Bob Clark, obviously, took a job as an accountant at a small firm. Uh, so the trial began and List explained the cause of of the crimes, and the specifics of how everything really went down. He stated that his financial difficulties were at a crisis in 1971, and that he was laid off from his job when the bank closed. He didn't- You bought a fucking 19-room mansion, my bro. (laughs) So he didn't want to tell his family about this humiliating change, and kept to the same routine he had while he was working. He dressed in his suit, leaving home at the normal time, However, he was spending the day either at job interviews or just, like, sitting at the train station reading newspapers until it was time to come home. He survived by the money he was skimming off of his mother's bank account. That was how he afforded to pay the mortgage on the house. The year went on and the financial situation worsened, causing him to actually encourage his kids to find part-time jobs to, quote, teach them maturity and responsibility. But oh, in actuality, yeah. it was to keep the family afloat. Right. Um, Helen was also an alcoholic, which put a strain on their relationship, and she had untreated territory ter- ter- tertiary? tertiary there we go, tertiary syphilis that she Ooh, had <laughs> that she had contracted from her first husband and concealed for 18 years. Basically, like, their entire marriage she had hit. What the f- fuck babe <laughs> um so according to list um of course according to list it's not like helen is here to defend herself right, um, right helen right. had pressured him into marriage by falsely claiming that she was pregante and <laughs> she was always with the pregnance <laughs> and insisted that they marry in maryland that because maryland was one of the few states that did not require a premarital syphilis test at the time that the majority of other states mandated. So her um, wanting to get married in Baltimore was all a ruse to avoid him finding out that she had syphilis. Wow. Um, Her health progressively deteriorated like it does when you have syphilis, especially untreated syphilis. I'm sure Mm. we'll talk about uh, what's-his-face someday. Um, There's so many. I don't... (laughs) the gangster. Uh, Oh, fuck. Uh, um, Yep. (laughs) You can't ask me that right now. <laughs> Gangster syphilis. Google. <laughs> All I could think Al of right Capone. now is that uh, Al Capone. Uh, Freddie Schubert had it. Um, but yeah, like if, you, if you're if you not familiar, like syphilis will just eat, literally eat your brain. Your brains are and gone. It's a zombie for you. Yeah. And your genitals. Like uh, at the end of his life, for an example, um, the people who were taking care of Al Capone basically said he had like the mental wherewithal of like a three-year-old when he died all right well thank you for not commenting on the zombie for your genitals because i <laughs> i mean it's staying I, in <laughs> i don't don't even know anymore i haven't even done my story oh, yeah, yet it's gonna be great 
Um, but like I said, so her health was progressively deteriorating. Um, and she didn't say anything to List or her doctors until 1969. At that point, the progression. <laughs> At that point, the progression... what a year! It was what a year to let them know. 69. <laughs> Sorry, folks. This is how it's gonna be for the next couple weeks, <laughs> at least. Oh, one sec. Um. Okay. So, uh, at the point that the progression of blah, 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 at that point, so in 1969, when she talked to her doctors, the progression of the disease and her alcoholism had, according to testimony, quote, transformed her from an attractive young woman to an an unkempt and paranoid recluse. Ooh, I love that, though. (laughs) You love that for you. That's for me. I'm an unkempt and paranoid recluse. Um, he also claimed that she routinely and sometimes publicly humiliated List. Good. Sorry, Elise is asking me grocery questions. Oh. Um, like I said at the beginning of this too, of course, we're talking about a dead woman here who can't defend herself. So I would say, yeah. you know, grain of salt with all these testimonies from not doctors. From a, a, from a man who fucking killed yeah. his wife. <laughs> A a court-appointed psychiatrist testified that List suffered from obsessive-compulsive personality disorder and that he saw only two solutions to his situation, accept welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. (laughs) Welfare? Welfare was an unacceptable option, he reasoned, because it would expose him and his family to ridicule and violate his authoritarian father's teachings regarding the care and protection of family members. So if he accepted welfare, he failed as a husband, a protector, and a provider. But, you know, murdering but by them. killing his family, yeah, totally he's cool. a success story. Yeah. Um, on, Love. On April 12th, Love 1990, it. List was convicted of five counts of first-degree murder. At his sentencing hearing, he denied a direct responsibility of his actions, saying, quote, I feel that because of my mental state at the time, I was unaccountable for what happened. I ask all affected by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. The face Casey is making. (laughs) So good. The judge, however, was unpersuaded. Good. Saying, quote, John Emil List is without remorse and without honor. After 18 years, 5 months, and 22 days, it is now time for the voices of Helen, Alma, Patricia, Frederick, and John F. List to rise from the grave. Get him, Alma. Uh, he imposed a sentence of five life terms of imprisonment to be served consecutively, which is the maximum permissible penalty at the time. Mm. List filed an appeal on the grounds that his judgment had been impaired by PTSD due to his military service. He also argued that the letter left at the crime scene, which was essentially used as his confession, was confidential communication between himself and his pastor and should be inadmissible as evidence. Yeah, get fucked, dude. Yeah, the f- you left it at your damn the house. The federal appeals court did not feel the same way <laughs> and denied all of his appeals. Excellent. Love. Um, in an interview with Connie Chung in 2002, he stated, quote, I have regretted my action and prayed for forgiveness ever since. Um, he was asked why he did not kill himself, and he stated that he believed that suicide would have prevented him from going to heaven, where he hoped to be reunited with his family. And I would like to think that if his family was in heaven, that they'd all tell him to get fucked when they saw him. Yep. Yeah, girl. <laughs> uh... Did it, Lit- Alma. <laughs> List died of complications from pneumonia at age 82 on March 21st, 2008, while in prison Boo-hoo. custody at St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton, New Jersey. John List can get fucked. I mean, he sucks a bunch. Getting fucked in the ass right now. One can only hope. In, in, in death. In death. <laughs> no poppers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a story. Excellent. I have wee woos. I have. I have warnings. I would expect that. Wee woo. Child death. Regular death. Animal neglect. Animal death. Oh, good. Satan. Witchcraft. Demons. White supremacy. And possibly shitty fathers. Possibly. Okay. 
Allegedly. So uh, this story is a little more recent. Uh, on October 8th, 2009, uh, the Jameson family went missing. And that's it. That's the story. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for hanging out with us. <laughs> uh, they were from... You might have to correct me on some of these oh, names. Oh, uh, this is the family in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, okay. yeah. You follow? Yep. yep, you follow Oklahoma. That's where they were from. Uh, this father was Bobby Dale, which I fucking love to say. <laughs> Bobby Dale was 44. I'm glad that we're laughing so much at a family that's all found murdered. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you named your child Bobby Dale, and you don't expect me to I don't think that chuckle. they expected their son to get murdered. <laughs> Sherilyn Leanne, she was 40. Uh, that was that was the the mom, the wife, and then their daughter, uh, who was six years old, was named Madison Stormy Star Jameson. Uh, they also had a doggo named Maisie, who is the real hero of the story. Uh, so there were some reports that I was reading uh, where it said that the marriage was rocky and that the family mostly kept to themselves. But in other stories, like um, Sherilyn Leanne's mom, she was like no they were great they had a great marriage it was great uh so it might have been great story Uh, (laughs) the family was in the red oak area of southeastern oklahoma about um 30 miles away from eufaula they were looking into a 40 acre plot of land that they wanted to purchase um in these like mountains of oklahoma and they wanted to live in a more remote area and uh, they were apparently planning on living in a storage unit or like a big industrial storage container that they owned crazy um which seems fucking weird to me but whatever uh i know that i know that people make like tiny homes out of those storage containers but i don't these these people didn't strike me as tiny home kind of people (laughs) Um, so the couple went to visit somebody uh, who was an associate of the current landowner that they were going to buy this plot of land from. And when they wrapped up their meeting, it said that they like took a short walk or a drive and they were up in this hilltop area, which comes into play a little bit later. Uh, so the family pickup truck was found in Latimer County, Oklahoma, on October 16th, eight days after they initially went missing. Um, the family uh, was all gone. Except for that the dog, Maisie, had been found locked inside the truck for those eight days without food or water. And was amazingly still alive. Wow. Get it, Maisie. Uh, Get it, Maisie. You amazing Maisie. Uh, Also inside inside the truck uh, were the wallets of both adults. Uh, It was um, his wallet and her like full fucking purse was there um including their ids their cell phones were in the truck there's a gps system a 11 page letter to bobby from Sherilyn, and thirty two thousand dollars in cash wow uh so police used the gps system um to like suss out where they had been and they found the hilltop area where they were where they found like footprints there was a photo of madison on i think it was bobby dale's phone um and they were able to spot like the exact location where they took that photo um and what was interesting was i don't remember which which source i got this from but the um the photo had this the picture of six-year-old madison and she like had her arms crossed and was looking away and some people were saying like this isn't something that she would do she loved to have her picture taken she was like a big ham and so it clearly looks like she's uncomfortable or like somebody is making her upset yeah um and so they think maybe somebody else was there and she was scared or upset by this um but that comes in a little bit later um so no one among friends or family seemed to be able to explain where the where the family could have come up with the thirty two thousand dollars in cash either um, there was no sign of struggle around the vehicle. Everything looked like they just left their dog in the truck and fucking vamoosed. Um, the next day, uh, well, starting from the next day, over 300, 300 people um, were called in to like search the area. There were, you know, authorities as well as volunteers. People were on foot. Um, there were dogs. Some people were on horseback. Uh, drones were up top doing the air search Um, and it was one of the most extensive manhunts in oklahoma history and it lasted eight months 
During the investigation, footage from the family security system was found that included this very bizarre footage of the parents packing to leave in this trance-like yeah, state. Yeah, that's such a weird video. It's so unsettling. It is. Uh, they're like, if you look it up, they're like zombies walking back and forth. They're not speaking to each other. Sometimes they just stop and stare for a little while. Um, and you see in this footage, there's a brown briefcase that gets placed inside the vehicle. Um, and it was never found. Uh, they don't know what happened to that. And also, Sherilyn, uh, she owned a 22 caliber pistol, which also was missing and has yet to be found. Uh, also in the investigation of the family home, the police found something called a witch's bible uh basically it was just a book with spells and stuff in it cool um yeah i guess and in november of 2013 uh two hunters made a discovery in the woods of skeletal remains belonging to two adults and a child face down in the dirt uh this was also made in latimer county where they had gone missing uh less than three miles from where the truck had been found abandoned which this is what gets me. They'd had eight hundred or three hundred people for eight months looking in a five mile radius. I'm not, I'm just saying. I don't know that they were there that whole. Well, time. yeah, especially because you'd imagine that they would bring cadaver dogs, right? And like, could well, yeah, they they did bring and, like, dogs. Cadaver dogs can smell a body under like a giant amount of dirt. Yep, like they'll they crazy. Yeah, they'll they'll hit it. They Um, <laughs> like I just said, those dogs are crazy. Um, so forensic testing finally concluded that these were, in fact, the remains of the Jameson family in July of 2014. Like, it took them a while to to do all this. Um, no cause of death could be determined due to the extent of decomposition, uh, the damage from scavenger animals and things like that, and the fact that the skeletal remains were incomplete. Dr. Joshua Lanter, uh, the Oklahoma State Medical Examiner at the time, claimed that there was no evidence of trauma, but also that it could not be ruled out. Um, the deaths occurred under, quote, suspicious circumstances, yeah, however. I mean, they didn't dig holes and bury themselves. Like... Right. Well, they weren't buried. They were just kind of like under some brush and face down in dirt. Uh, they weren't like covered in dirt. That just makes it even more suspicious that no one would have seen them. Right? Like, even the drones, like the air drones. Yep. Sus. Uh, also found around this area uh, where the family were discovered were remnants of clothing and, like, pairs of shoes and things. So, it wasn't like, you know, little girls, they were like those bright pink light-up shoes. That was my favorite <laughs> when I was a kid. I had those shoes that would light up when you yeah. walked. Uh-huh. <laughs> But neither of the parents uh, were working at the time of their disappearance. So it's not like, uh, you know, a, a, co- a co-worker would be like, hey, where's Bobby Dale? I don't know where he is. Yeah. Why didn't he come to work? Uh, they were both receiving disability checks. I believe that I read Bobby had a serious back injury from a car accident. Um, I don't know why uh, Sherilyn was dis- disabled, like what her disability business was. Um and there, there's nothing like there's no evidence of what happened to them. So there are some theories and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so the first theory is pretty simple. They got lost walking around, died of hy- uh, hypothermia. Uh, the area had experienced heavy rains around the time of this disappearance, but nothing that would have been considered deadly at the time. Um, but like if you're going to go walking around in the woods, why wouldn't you? Why would a why wouldn't you take your dog yeah. and b you have a fucking GPS go. With the Ooh, GPS, like you didn't even take find your, your way back. Yeah. Like, and this isn't like Maura Murray. Like, they would have had GPS on their phone. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if they didn't, they could at least have called for help or. Right. You know, like, like why, and why wouldn't you take your phone if you were going on, like, a let's go have fun on this walk? Right. For, you know, take pictures. To take pictures. Or, yep. like, to anything. Like, I, I don't even like leaving my phone in the other room. Like, it's just, it's always in my pocket. Yep. Well, there are other theories, and one of them is that the family was a part of a drug deal gone bad. Uh, yeah, neighbors a drug had deal made... that wouldn't find $32,000 in their car? Okay, sure. That, that's, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm just, I'm going over the, the details. Let me get there. <laughs> Uh, neighbors said that the two had been acting very strange lately Accurate. and it looked like they were losing weight um so is a problem. i mean i was gonna say i remember uh when breaking bad was coming out 
And I was saying it to Roy, man, I've been watching this show Breaking Bad. And Roy was like, I'm not watching that. I live in Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was reading this and I went, oh, yeah, they have a meth problem there. (laughs) Meth and opioids and human trafficking. Oof. Um, But yeah, so they have it. There's a a huge meth problem. Uh, The huge amount of cash they took with them. It wouldn't be that weird. I mean, to assume that with that amount of money and with people suspecting that you might be on drugs, um, that that would be a theory. Um, also, people point to the weird video footage. They're like, hey, uh, does meth make you like that? <laughs> like, do you just get super tranced and uh, stop for long periods of time? No, normally uh, it's like the opposite. You're you're like tweaking yeah, out, well, right? When you're, um, especially when you're coming down, when you're in the yeah. like bug status you're just tweaking friends and friends and family deny that these claims were accurate they said there's no indication according um to police records that they were actively using drugs and family said no they don't use drugs they're they're cool and um you know or my thing is well maybe they were someone who they saw something that they shouldn't have you know maybe they knew somebody had a meth lab or you know were caught up in it that way but if that's the case, why do you take your child with you? And also, the cash is still in the car, yeah. like you said. Like, they didn't go searching for money. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things. Like like you said, like, okay, they're going for a walk and got lost, but why would they leave their dog locked up in the car? Yep. Like, if you, if it's a drug deal gone wrong, why wouldn't they have searched the car? Like, if a gun is missing and... Other things are missing that were in the car, like this briefcase is gone that no one's ever found. It's not like that's something that you would pick up and take with you into the woods on a nice leisurely walk with your family. Now, the only thing I could think of about like a drug dealer perhaps not looking into the car is that Maisie was still in there and they, you know, might have been afraid of the doggo. Maybe she was quite vicious. We don't know. At the point in time that you have killed a family... You're gonna shoot that dog. Yeah, I don't feel like the dog is, like, like maybe not the adults, but, like, at the point that you murder a six-year-old, like, you're gonna shoot the dog. If the money was your goal, then why would you have killed the family and not gotten the money? Because a dog was in the car. Now, don't get me wrong, I love dogs, I would never want to hurt a dog, but, like, logistically speaking, if between me and my ultimate goal is a dog and i am someone who is capable of murdering a six-year-old that dog's not gonna stop me yep oh man uh i'm curious about the i think that there's some credence to the what you mentioned about the bodies not having been there the whole time right because it's really weird that they would be searching a five mile radius and not find something within three miles uh, within that radius yeah yeah. Especially with cadaver dogs and not being buried and not, you know, like there's a lot there's a lot of weird stuff happening there. And if there was a bunch of well, other they're... debris that did not necessarily belong to the family around them. So in Oklahoma, I don't know if this is the same thing in other areas, but in my area at least, there will just be like there's a big path you can walk in my town. And if you go I don't know 100 feet 200 feet off of that path in some areas there will just be places where people have just dumped piles of clothing like or just like we found the remnants of an old house on a back road that's just like the foundation and a cistern and like that's all that's left you're like the stairs up to the concrete foundation and then a literal hole in the ground that someone covered up with like a piece of metal so animals can't get stuck in it and like but there's just like there's a whole stove oven fridge we found piles of like women and kids clothing and shoes like tons of stuff so if that area is anything like the area i've been around then it's possible that this is just an area where people go and just dump shit and Mm. these bodies were just dumped there at a later date after the searches were over well there are more theories. One of them being that this Bigfoot. was all put together. Bigfoot? Hey? Bigfoot? Was it Bigfoot? Uh, I don't know. It was Bigfoot. Is Bigfoot going by the name Bobby Jameson Sr.? No, probably not. Then, no. 
<laughs> uh, we have big feet in Oklahoma, allegedly. Oh, shit. We got to go hunting, BB. <laughs> um, so Bob, to specify, Bob is going to be senior. Bobby is going to be junior. <laughs> uh, Bob and Bobby were feuding. They were not getting along. There was a lawsuit going on between the two uh, where, where Junior, uh, he was suing for property or money um, because they had a, I guess it was like a family business. I couldn't, I didn't really get all the details on this. And some of them were just so, so fuzzy that it was like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. But um, so like, he would do work for his dad for this business. And he was promised, like, you're going to get half of the sales and you'll, you know, it'll be great. I'm not going to pay you up front like an hourly wage. You'll just get half of the sales. And Bobby never received that money. And that was what he was taking his dad to court for. He also had a protective order against his father. Um, and that was why he installed the security system. Uh, Senior had threatened to kill Junior and his family at least twice, once on November uh, of, or once in November of 2008 and the second time in April of 2009. Uh, the order also stated that he'd struck Junior with his vehicle in November of that year. Uh, the protection order was dismissed by the judge, however, on May 18th, 2009. I'm not sure why, but that seems like a really shitty judge. <laughs> um, there were all sorts of different rumors that... Um, Bob Sr. had ties to the Mexican mafia and that he had like <clears throat> money or uh, connections with uh, prostitutes and like gambling and meth deals and all this sort of stuff. In uh, That's Why We Drink, the episode that they did on this, uh, they were saying that he was never considered a serious suspect and that he had an alibi that he was sick in the hospital. And his brother, uh, I think his name was jim jameson or something it started with a j and i i just i don't I <laughs> he blacked out <laughs> i did um but he says basically like i mean i think he's crazy but i don't think he did it <laughs> it's like basically what the brother said um and bob actually died in december of uh 2009 before anybody found the family um so i don't know could be if he was really in the hospital but i don't couldn't find anything to confirm nor deny that so that's a theory. Also, murder-suicide. Uh, both parents suffered from severe depression. Uh, one of the big things that I heard was that Sherilyn's sister had recently died, like suddenly, and Sherilyn was very close to her and it really put her in a shitty place. Um, she may also have had uh, bipolar disorder. And meanwhile, Bobby is in constant pain from this back injury that he has. He's like just chronic pain all the time. Uh, so imagine there's a lot of depression going on between the two of them. So I mentioned that there was an 11 page long letter from Sherilyn mm -hmm. to Bobby in the car. And it was like a fucking hate letter. Oh, wow. She's like accusing him of being a hermit. And she's saying like what a shitty husband he is basically. And what is noted by the... um medical examiner was that there was in fact a hole in bobby's skull but it couldn't be confirmed that it was a bullet wound it like it could have been a dog hit it and <laughs> there's a hole in the skull now i don't know you know uh so many things could cause some you know a, an acorn drops off a tree but if and if she killed him then where's the gun exactly because guns don't just you know decompose yeah yeah <laughs> um so that was one of the thoughts was that the parents were finally just like either super on drugs or super depressed and I had enough and I'm going to take my family out with me. If the gun was there, uh, I'd believe that more. Yes. But like, like you said, like, and like who, who would be in the woods and like find a family? Man, cool, free yeah, gun. Yeah, say cool, free gun and leave. <laughs> <laughs> like there's probably people out there that are like that i was gonna say there's probably but people. like also in the area like this would have been really publicized like people would have known oh about yeah this case. i for some reason i don't know what i was doing in 2013 but i have no recollection of anything about this case except for what i've like heard on other podcasts and shows and stuff um yeah. But like I don't remember it happening and it's not that far terribly far away from me. 
Um, But yeah, like I just, I have a hard time thinking that somebody from the area, like from the community would have been there and just like found three dead bodies that they knew people were looking for and then just say free gun cool and then leave. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, there are some people I suspect would do that, and they're they're the next theory on my list. And the names of those people are white supremacists. Okay, the evil big feet. So, so there's there was one uh I one of the podcasts I was listening to talked about this, and I can't remember which one it was. I'm so sorry, other podcasts. Um, they were saying that this racist guy basically was renting a room from Sherilyn and Bobby at the time. And he just started going off and she was tired of his racial slurs and all this other bullshit that he was spouting. And she was like, I don't want that around my kid. And she at gunpoint fucking tells him to leave. Oh, wow. He yeah. did have a 22. Um, <laughs> she was like, get the fuck off my property. Um, so there's another thing that I I saw that was like, there was this, this guy a pill bottle with his name on it was found in the truck, but it was not listed under any official thing that I read. So I have a feeling that that's just like people trying to push this theory. Yeah. Now, Sherilyn's best friend, uh, her name was Nikki, and she was contacted after the family story was uh, aired on the show disappeared. Uh-huh. Um, and Nikki said, quote, I got an anonymous call from a woman wanting to know if I was the one looking for the Jamesons. Uh, she claimed that this woman told her that the Jamesons were listed in a book for a white supremacy situation that was like a book of people that they wanted to take care of, a.k.a. whack, a.k.a. off, a.k.a. make parish. Um, so according to... <laughs> what? Oh, okay, according to the Oklahoma City Fox 25 news channel, uh, quote, the mysterious caller told Chenold, that's Nikki Chenold, by the way, I didn't say her last name, uh, that she had once belonged to a white supremacy group. She saw a book and she had a bunch of names and it had a bunch of names on it. Chenold told Fox 25, uh, they were names of people that someone in the group had a problem with and needed them taken care of. The woman told Chenold that she tried to remember names of each rally and would go home and search for them on the internet. Many of the names came back to missing persons cases. That's how she learned about Bobby and Sherilyn. Nikki. Nikki claimed to be skeptical at first, but the woman then told her something that proved that she knew some real shit. She, quote, she knew about the insignia on his wedding ring, which was not something many people knew about. Uh, she overheard some conversations with these guys, and they were clearly talking about Cheryl and Bobby and Madison, and that they, quote, took care of them. Uh, and supposedly one of the guys talked about how he liked to put Madison on his lap and how it made him feel good, which is gross. Yes. Well, the family pastor claimed that the family uh, said that their house was haunted. That's another theory. Uh, and they apparently came to this pastor and said that they were in a spiritual warfare and that Madison was talking to the ghosts. There were names for at least two of them in what I found, and their names were Emily and Michael. And one of them had wings, which would I would assume was Michael because of the angel Michael. Um, but, you know, it's also ghosts. So <laughs> who knows? Uh, there were talks about the house being built on an Indian burial ground. Um, you know, they talk about that witch's Bible. And Nikki uh, came back and said something. She was like, this is something that we both were interested in, but it was more like a joke and it wasn't anything that they seriously were like doing. Yeah. Um, so they like, they had it out on their coffee table like, ha look at my funny witch book, like that sort of thing. Um, however... This pastor claimed that Bobby came in and mentioned seeking aid for this demonic issue in their home with a, quote, satanic Bible. Uh, he also he also said that Bobby asked him about special ghost shooting bullets. So I think Bobby needed some yeah, help. Yeah, this also could be meth. <laughs> yeah. The storage unit had a bizarre uh, graffiti on the side of it. Uh, it said, quote, three cats killed today by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cats killed, which is fucking true. So stop it. <laughs> um, the family's cats had been poisoned by their neighbors at one point. I think they they went through three cats. And Sherilyn's friend, Nikki, she actually confirmed that she believed that there were ghosts in the house and that they were being haunted. Um, and that she said she experienced herself uh, a like gray form coming down the stairs. 
she said this this strain was affecting the couple's relationship and it made Bobby, who is normally a very gentle guy, into a real nasty boy, which I don't know why I wrote it like that, but <laughs> I'm going with it. <laughs> Uh, Sherilyn's mom, Connie Cockatin, said that uh, Sherilyn was on the list, the hit list of a religious cult in the area. And an article in the early 90s about cults uh, in Oklahoma, they were like, these people are active in eastern Oklahoma, so watch out. Yeah, Oklahoma's it's, it's had a, fucking, a couple of... It's in the newspaper. Yeah, Oklahoma's had a couple of pretty serious cults in it. So, um, so people refer back to that video footage and they're like, oh man, it's demonic possession or it's a ritual possession or what if they're being watched by these white supremacist ghost <laughs> cults? Like, what if they're being watched by white supremacist ghosts? <laughs> so that is a well, theory we really, that it either we really missed the, they were on a, the name for our podcast. White supremacist ghost yep. cults? <laughs> um so yeah there there are a lot of different theories but the the one that i thought was the most fascinating was um the fact that this took place on the 35th degree latitude um which has been called the line of tragedy um the andrea yates uh situation took place where she killed all five of her kids um timothy mcveigh carried out the oklahoma city bombing along this line and the car, their their vehicle was found on the thirty fifth degree latitude. So um, that's kind of like a like a Bermuda Triangle thing. We'll have to Man, get into in another episode. Stay but stay away from that. Evidently, yeah, you better make sure that you don't live on the thirty fifth degree latitude. Sure don't. <laughs> uh, so there are so many leads and no direction, and the case went cold. And to this day, the family and friends of the Jamesons still don't have any closure for what happened to them. Um, but most of them do suspect foul play. Maisie lived the rest of her dog of life with Bobby's mother. Aww. I wanted to wrap that up. At with least there's nice. a good ending, kind of. So yeah, if you know anything, make the call. Very I convincing. I don't think anybody does. But just a lot of weird shit in that one. And I, I think that might have been the first episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved True Crime that I watched, actually. Yeah, I remember them doing it. Because they had the some of the um surveillance they had a or like the, they had a dramatic reenactment of the surveillance yeah, yeah. so it is so weird it is it is i if you want to be really creeped out go have fun <laughs> but thanks for hanging out for it with us today uh as we talked about the destruction of families next week uh we'll be here talking about partners in crime what kind of partners well that's completely up to interpretation we hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. So just send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a story, we ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through them a little more easily. Do you know anything about the Jameson family going missing? Did you happen to walk by and say, hey, cool, free gun? <laughs> you probably shouldn't have done that. Probably not. No, probably not your shining moment. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual pod. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good you job. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the strange and unusual podcast. If you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strange unusual. Uh, we've got bonus episodes on there, access to our Patreon, occasional votes that we do listen to. We have not disregarded any of the voting. <laughs> Only questions of what Roya should or shouldn't cover in episodes based on how sad everyone is. <laughs> That's what gets disregarded. Um, however, we completely understand right now COVID is back on the rise. Um, financial situations are strained. So if you are unable to support us, we totally get it. If you can, just like, share, subscribe, rate, review, uh, do anything like that that will help us um, out a lot. Interact with us on uh, social media. It helps us out a lot. Just sharing our posts on Twitter and stuff. Um, yeah. So we hope to hear from you. I didn't check to see if you had any reviews. I doubt we do, but... Jeez, people. Get it together. 
maybe. How are we supposed to embarrass people online if they don't come out and talk to us? Yeah, if you leave us a review, even if it is uh, not a nice review, if it's five stars, I will still read it on air. Nope. No new reviews. All right. Well, bye. <laughs> okay. Okay.